are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Well, amen. Take your Bible, please. Turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 33. Thank you, Brooke, for letting the old man sing with you. I appreciate that. It's been good to be in church tonight on Wednesday night. And uh, I love church on Sunday. I like church on Sunday night. And you know what? I kind of like it on Wednesday night, too. And I'm glad that you're tuned in this evening. I hope you've had a great week. And I'm praying tonight that God will speak to our heart in a very real kind of a way. And the book of Numbers has been called the Pilgrim's Handbook. It's a roadmap through the wilderness. Not to the wilderness, but through the wilderness. I've been praying and preparing this message, began working on it probably Saturday night, and uh, then Monday, Tuesday, and then today. And I had some time of prayer this afternoon down in uh, the room below me, and I was thinking about, you know, we can't see you through the, uh, the camera, so I was trying to envision faces and things of that nature. And I want God to speak to us as a church family tonight. And I'm thinking about that song. We sing it, the choir sings it. It says, see the bright light shine, it's just about home time. So said, I can see my father standing at the door. This world has been a wilderness, but I'm ready for deliverance. And I'm glad this is not what's going to be. This has come to pass. Numbers 33, let's read verse number 50, and we'll read down through verse number 54, and I'll give you the thought for tonight. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when, I like that word, I've underlined it, when you're passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then, I underlined that word, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein, for I've given, it, given you the land to possess it. And you shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families, and to the more you shall give the more inheritance, and to the fewer... You shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth according to the tribes of your fathers. Ye shall inherit. Now I want you to notice those two words. They're great words. The word in verse 51 is the word when. When, not if you pass over. Not that you could pass over, but you're passing over. And it says when you're passed over Jordan, it's not time for vacation. It's not time for sabbatical, but there is a plan of action. There is a, uh, a plan of attack, if you will. When you pass over, then do this. Now, the book of Numbers, Moses is speaking here. And of course, we know Moses will not go into the promised land, but he's giving the people of God instruction. When you get through what you're going through, when you get past where you are, when we cross over Jordan into the perfect will of God, into the promised land, here's what you do. For a little while this evening, I want to speak to your heart on this thought. So what do we do after the wilderness? What are we going to do on the other side? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your power, please. I pray that you speak to our hearts as a church family tonight. Thank you for the guests that have joined us. But Lord, that's not our audience, target audience at least tonight. I want to speak to our church family. And I pray that you'd stir our hearts about what lies ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Without question, our church is a busy church. And let me say on the heels of that, I believe anything that's animated by that, I mean alive, ought to be active. 
Now, we're not just busy for the sake of being busy. There's a lot of that out in the world, but I believe that we're purposefully busy, desiring to fulfill the will of God. Our building that we're in right now is normally buzzing with activity. These pews are normally packed with you folks who are watching now from home. The hallways echo with fellowship. There's 27 or so buses parked out here behind us. Normally, those buses would be idling early on Sunday mornings and then going out like a massive army to canvas our community and to bring children to church. Shuttles run to and fro from this place to Oracle, from this place to the neighborhood around us to bring people here to our property. North Valley is a very busy, active, and vibrant church. And let me say this, you might be joining us as a guest. That's the way God wants it to be. God delivers from dead church. Bob Jones Sr. said it takes Holy Ghost unction to make orthodoxy function. And I'm convinced that dead fundamentalism is just as nauseating to God as vibrant liberalism. But it's very obvious that we've been slowed almost to a stop by government order and a very real health concern. Things are quiet around here. The atmosphere is sort of solemn. There's a stillness about the property, and I'll be honest with you, there's sort of an emptiness about what we're attempting to do in these days. I like it busy. My wife will shout amen to this. I don't do good with little activity or a light schedule. I like to be busy. I like to be active. I like it to be wide open. I read an illustration the other day, and hopefully it'll make the point. A young man went to a logging crew for a job. The foreman of the job said, let me see how you can work. And the young boy took to chopping down a tree, and he cut it down very quickly. The foreman said, you've got the job. The young man worked Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. On Thursday, he went to work, and the foreman said, after you finish for the day, pick up your check on the way out. That startled the young man. He said, what do you mean? I thought we got paid on Friday. And the foreman said, you normally would, but today's your last day. You've fallen behind. You were first place on Monday and your last place on Wednesday. Pick up your check. You're fired. The young boy couldn't believe it. He'd been working so hard. He said, I've been working diligently. I even worked through my coffee breaks. I don't understand. And the foreman could tell the young boy had integrity and he meant what he said. And the foreman asked him a question. He said, let me ask you, have you been taking time to sharpen your axe. The young man replied, I guess I've been so busy working so hard, I've failed to take time to sharpen my axe. Now, I am all for working hard and being busy and being active 110%, but listen, if we fail to plan for what's ahead, we will fail. Now, I'm tired of this shutdown. Can I get an amen right there? And I believe soon the shutdown is going to be lifted. I know it will sooner or later. And here's my prayer. I'm praying that this time has not been wasted time, but it's been time that God has allowed our church, an active church, a busy church, a vibrant church, and our church family to sharpen the blade, if you will, of our Christian life and our ministry, and we'll come back better than ever, ready for whatever it is that lies ahead. By the way, there is a what lies ahead. There is a what's next. We're not here to stay. We're pressing forward by the grace of God. We might be slowed down, but it's going to start back up. There might not be much activity, but activity is coming. You might feel frustrated. I know we're frustrated in our purpose, but thank God a day is coming when again we'll be able to attack our purpose with a new fervency like never before. Don't let this time dull your ministry. Don't let this time dull your 
prayer life. Don't let this time dull your walk with God. It can't deter us. It can't deaden us. But may God use this time to sharpen us for what lies ahead. Now, as you read the Bible, it's very obvious that places are very important in the plan of God. Locations and places are things that God will use to teach His children very valuable lessons. Elah had a purpose. Mount Moriah, it had a purpose. The Red Sea had a purpose. Nineveh had a purpose. The juniper tree had a purpose. The Garden of Gethsemane had a purpose. The road to Damascus had a purpose. And God is like a blacksmith, always working the iron. He's like a potter, always molding the clay. And God is always shaping, conforming, and molding his people. So God puts places almost like the anvil of the blacksmith, almost like the wheel of the potter, in the life of his children to prepare us for something that lies ahead. But listen to me, not only are the places important, but the time that is spent at those places is important as well. God knows how to get our attention. God knows how to get our affection back. God knows how to help us prepare to advance in the will of God. I'm sure that Noah would not have chosen place or period in his life. I'm sure he'd rather have lived in another generation, and I'm sure he would not have voted for a hundred years or more of building a boat, but God used it in his life. I'm sure that Joseph would not have chosen Egypt, and he surely wouldn't have chosen three years in prison, but God used place and period in his life. I would say that Jonah would not have chosen the whale's belly. I'll go out on a limb. I would say he wouldn't have chosen that. He surely wouldn't have chosen it for the amount of time he was in there, but God used place and period in his life. And can I say, God knows how to put his people in places for a certain amount of time to mold them and get them ready for what might lie ahead. Now, the wilderness was just such a place for Israel. When you consider the wilderness journey of Israel, you notice the wilderness was a proving place. It was a preparing place. It was a pruning place, but thank God, it was a passing place. It did not come to stay. And God's purpose for his people did not perish in the wilderness. There was life and much to accomplish on the other side of Jordan. Now let me say it again. It was a purpose place, but it was also a passing place. Now, tonight, if you'll give me the liberty, I want to say that I feel like we found ourselves in sort of a wilderness journey. Around here, you know it better than I do, this is an active place. This is a vibrant place. We're used to people all over the property. We're used to souls saved at the altar. We're used to baptisms after every service. We're used to buses running to and fro. We're used to the hand of God, the choir singing, an evident touch of revival. We're used to that. But can I say these weeks have been a bit different in the life of our church and the life of the families that make up our church. We've seen things and experienced things in our country in the last 40 days that I never dreamed I'd ever have to live through. I never imagined my family would have to gather in the living room and watch me preach via the television screen. And I dare say you didn't think that your family would have to attend church that way either. And if you listen to the average individual, and I'm going somewhere, so hang on with me. If you listen to the average individual, me included, our talk is about current events. Our talk is about current circumstances. We seem like we're arresting our attention on what we're in right now. The 
overwhelming talk I hear is about today. We talk about our quarantine. We talk about shelter in place. We have conversations about the restrictions. We talk about the virus. We talk about now. We talk about here. We talk about this side of the Jordan River and there's not much talk about the other side of the Jordan River. Now I'll talk, I'll speak for him because he let me preach in his pulpit but pastor has a plan for the other side of the Jordan River. I'm not saying that we don't but the average individual is so wrapped up on the wilderness side of Jordan they're forgetting about the good things that wait for us on the other side of Jordan. I hear talk about things, posting and tweeting and texting and emailing and it's all about now and if we're not careful we're going to get used to the unusual and adjusted to the abnormal that we've been asked to lead the last several weeks. I want to remind us, I want to remind you, I want to remind myself, I want to remind the North Valley Baptist Church, this is just the wilderness. We're not going to be here forever. We won't be here much longer. This is a passing place. It'll be in the rearview mirror. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. We're just a passing through. It's a preparing time. Don't die in the wilderness. Don't get adapted to the wilderness. Don't get used to the wilderness. Don't conform to the wilderness. Don't buy in to the wilderness schedule. Don't buy in to the wilderness dress code. Don't buy in to the wilderness pace. Don't buy in to this wilderness church experience. We're not staying here forever. Canaan land is just in sight. Don't get comfortable. Don't get settled. Don't get adjusted. We're headed to the other side. There's great things to do for God on the other side. There's great blessings on the other side. There's victory on the other side. And that's where we're heading. One day soon, we're going to get back to life as it ought to be. Life as it should be. Life as we want it to be. We're going to get back to routine and back to ministry and back to life. We're going to get off the anvil and get off the potter's wheel and go forward by the grace of God. So I want to ask the question, what are we going to do when we get over this? What are we going to do when we get past this? What are we going to do when this is just a history lesson? What are we going to do when this is yesterday and we get to live in our new today? What are we going to do when we get to the normal again? And I'm not talking, I had this in my notes to echo, I'm not talking about a new normal. I'm not talking about a redefined normal. I'm not talking about their idea of normal. Everybody who wants a new normal hated the old normal that made America great and church great to begin with. I'm talking about getting back to the old-fashioned church, the old-fashioned America that we had several weeks ago. What are we going to do when the restrictions are lifted? What are we going to do when the hype is deflated? What are we going to do when the hysteria is gone? What are we going to do? Now, I know it's fluid, and I know some folks are on the cautious side of things. I feel more like a, a Caleb. Give me that mountain. But can I say, if I was going to listen to a voice from a pulpit, I'd much rather have a Caleb than, uh, than somebody on the other side saying those giants are too big. Those armies are too strong. Can I say we're going to go forward for God? What are we going to do when we get to see each other face to face in person? What are we going to do when the choir fills this choir loft and over 200 voices begin to sing that first note and the pianists strike up the first chord and all of a sudden we hear the 
song I heard an old, old story. I'm on the winning side. What are we going to do when the atmosphere anthems with harmony and melody again? What are we going to do when Sunday school is back in business and teachers meeting is back in business? What are we going to do when the Sunday school teachers prepare all week and pray all night on Saturday? What are we going to do? What are we going to do when the teens are back to sitting in the teen section and the young men are shouting amen and they're saying, would you sign my Bible? And I'm stealing their candy. Say amen right there. And they're enjoying church the old-fashioned way. What are we going to do? What are we going to do when men's prayer meeting gets packed out? Whenever this building's filled with God's men crying out to God to bless this land and to send revival in our day. What are we going to do? What are we going to do when the Saturday faithfulness rally gets cranked up again and we all get to hear what we love to hear? The weather again from Brother Flood. What are we going to do? What are we going to do when we get the tracks from Brother Poussin and we sing the hymns and get stirred up to go out and win souls to Christ? What are we going to do when this building isn't so quiet and amens anthem through the property and hallelujahs ring out and shouts are the norm of the hour? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do when the restrictions are gone and the buses run? What are we going to do when the parking lot is full and we hear voices in the hallways of our buildings? What are we going to do when you dear men get on your yellow and orange vest and stand at the end of our roads and direct traffic with your batons? What are we going to do when Brother Bertram and Pastor and others are out there at the front and they're waving folks into the property? What are we going to do? What are we going to do when we get to get up on Sunday morning, have breakfast with our family, put on our suit and tie or our Sunday dress, grab our King James Bible and go to church with our family? What are we going to do when on Sunday night the little kids get to march across this platform, stop and wave at America and say, hi, Grandma, again. What are we going to do when Patch gets cranked back up and some of you fellas get to wear your polos on Wednesday night? What are, what are we going to do? What are we going to do whenever we get to have church the old-fashioned way? What are we going to do when the nurseries are alive and well and the nursery workers have good reason to get sleep on Saturday night? What are we going to do when school gets cranked up back on Clyde Avenue and you teachers get to see your students face-to-face and the students get to see their teachers face-to-face? What are we going to do when the dorms open up for Golden State Baptist College maybe in the fall and we see kids, young men and young ladies from all across America drive and fly and make their way to this campus to learn how to preach the Bible and make a living serving God, a life glorifying to God. What are we going to do? What are we going to do when we're back to the big days and back to the fellowship meetings and back to the campaigns and back to Roundup Sunday and back to Fall Festival and back? What are we going to do when it's not time to worry about talking heads and social media scholars and these fear mongers, these chicken little news reporters that want us to believe the sky is falling. What are we going to do when I can take my family outside and don't have to worry about a citation? I can pack out a pew and don't have to worry about repercussion. What are we going to do when North Valley Baptist Church is back to being North Valley Baptist Church? Can I say it's God's desire, it's God's will that we get back to church. Not a new church, not a different church, but the same old kind of church that we've all come to love. It's God's will that we assemble together. So what are we going to do? When we cross Jordan and get on the other side. Now Numbers 33 is like a Reader's Digest version of the history of Israel. And here as you read this, and I've got I've to hurry. Okay, I won't. Here as you read this, God gives us the rundown of all the places that Israel stopped and camped in those 40 years of wandering. Now the title of the chapter is found in verse 1, the journeys 
of the children of Israel. It begins with deliverance from bondage and ends with their entrance into the promise of God. Now, I've preached it and said they aimlessly wandered, but that's not true. They providentially wandered. And aren't you glad that God interacts and directs in the affairs of man? You read this chapter. It begins with the first Passover and then place after place for 40 years where God's people got stalled, stuck, and had to settle for a time in the wilderness. Now, just that word alone, wilderness, sounds like a bad thing to me. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to choose a place to live, I don't want to live in the wilderness. That's a dangerous place. That's a treacherous place. That's an adverse place. And the Bible says they were there for 40 years. We've been in this about 40 days. They were there for 40 years. Consider it. 40 years is a mighty long time to wonder. I mean, we're talking about four decades, not 40 days, but 40 years. 40 years with no houses. 40 years with no stability. 40 years fighting adversaries. 40 years they fought with each other. 40 years chasing. Some died. They disappointed God, then met God with compassion. God met them with compassion again. Think about it. They climbed the rugged terrain of Edom. They tasted the waters of Marah. They'd gone through the deserts of Paran. Danger and death within a step of their lives on all sides and all the time. They'd witnessed God's provision they'd seen God's power they'd received God's law they'd seen miracles shed tears shouted mourned wept and they wandered through the wilderness there was times of temper lost there was time of temptation sometimes they murmured sometimes they rejoiced some days they were up some days they were down and through 40 years they'd had victories and doubt they'd had courage and they'd had fear they'd had faith and sometimes they questioned God and I would say those 40 years felt like forever in the life of Israel for 40 years they wandered. For 40 years they walked. For 40 years they worshiped. For 40 years they were in the wrong place. If you're wandering, not where God wanted them, in the wilderness. Now, we come to verse 50 through verse 54. This is the law for possessing the land. Moses gave Israel their task for when they stepped to the other side. He uses those words, the word when and the word then. Now, I see Moses like a general. And that's the kind of general I want. He gives them marching orders, a plan of attack, not for if they cross over, but for when they cross over the River Jordan. In essence, he's saying it has an expiration date. It's been time stamped. We're not going to be here forever. It came to pass. Imagine the Jordan River's before them. The end of the wilderness is in front of them. As they heard the waters trickle down their determined pathway by the banks of that river, the water seemed to sing out to their hearts, victories on the other side. The will of God's on the other side. Get ready to say goodbye to what was and hello to what lies ahead. You see, God didn't desire for his people to die in the wilderness. I'll say it again. It was a passing place. It was a pruning place. It was a, pre a preparing place. Thank God it was a passing place. God's people weren't called out of bondage to die in the wilderness for 40 years. They'd wandered, but their wandering was about to be over. And now that day is about upon them. Can you imagine the excitement as Moses speaks under direct inspiration of God and says, here's what we're going do fellas whenever we say goodbye to this and hello to that we're going to the other side and here's the plan for attack now let me apply this without question I'll say it again we found ourselves lately in sort of a wilderness situation we're frustrated in our purpose it seems like we've been put in a holding pattern these are uncertain uncomfortable and undesirable times it's not been 40 years it's just been about 40 days but it seems similar I don't know about you I've had days I've rejoiced 
I've had days I've cried. I've had days of victory. I've had days of defeat. I've had days of faith. I've had days of fear. I've had days where I was anxious, days where I was zealous, days where I was obedient, and days where I seemed to rebel. I've faced adversaries in my emotions, our health, finances, our spirit. There's been times of doubt and question, and it seems like we've wandered in this wilderness now for 40 days. But I want to tell our church, don't you get settled on this side. We're about to go to the other side. This was just a passing place. The old normal is coming back soon and very soon. We'll trade out church on the screen for church in the sanctuary. We won't shout from a couch. We'll shout from a pew. We won't type out amen. We'll get to shout out amen soon and very soon. We're going to cross Jordan. We'll say goodbye to restrictions. Goodbye to ordinances. Goodbye to doubters. Goodbye to the pessimism. Goodbye to the fear. And hello to the will of God ahead. Soon we'll leave the wilderness. Can you see it, church? Can you see it in front of us? It's coming before you know it. Don't say it's not. It's going to happen. Here before long, we're going to cross over. We'll step in the waters. God's going to part it. We'll go through to the other side. There's a lamb with milk and honey waiting for us just ahead. You ask the question, what are we going to do? What are we going to do after the wilderness? What are we going to do on the other side? Let me give it to you quickly, and I'll, I'll close. Number one, we're going we're gonna to war on the other side. Look what it says, verse 52. Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy. Now, I've already triggered half the crowd. That's not very palatable language to modern Christianity. Destroy all their pictures. Destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down all their high places. And you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land. You say, what are we going to do on the other side? I'll tell you what we're going to do on the other side. Moses would say, here's what you're going to do. When you cross out of this into that, when you get through that river and you get into Canaan land, you're going to have to fight for the goodness of God and fight for the blessings of God and fight for the inheritance of God. We're going to war. The Bible said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. First Timothy 1, 18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest buy them war, a good warfare. First Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Second Timothy 2, 3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Jude 3, brethren, he said, earnestly contend for the faith. Now, I know that's not popular with this modern day link arms with everybody. I mean, soft soap brand of Christians we have, but can I say God blesses and God uses a believer that will battle for Bible truth. I'm talking about battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, whether it's Moses with his staff, or David with his sling, or Samson with a jawbone, or Paul with his pen. God, generation after generation, blesses that crowd that earnestly contends for the faith. I'm not going to trade out my walls for bridges. I'm not going to trade out my sword for a white flag. I'm not going to drop my trumpet for a peace pipe. Lister Roloff got it right. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Can I say your marriage? You got to fight for your marriage. Your children, we got to fight for those children. Your church, we got to fight for our church. The Bible truth, we got to fight for the truth of the Word of God. We're going to keep warring. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to conform. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to capitulate. We're not going to assimilate. We're not going to try to fit in. I want to stand out. How? By fighting for the truth once delivered. Moses was a fighter, fought for his nation. 
Abraham was a fighter, fought for his family. David was a fighter, he fought for his God. Elijah was a fighter, he fought against culture. Paul was a fighter, he fought against error. And I know it's not vogue, but every generation has to have somebody, some place that's willing not to be liked so that they might be loved and stand for the faith in that generation. I don't like to do it. I sure would like everybody to like me. And I know, hey, we'd like everybody to like us. That's just how it is. But can I say there's some things that are more important than me being liked by the world and accepted by this world. And I think as we come back, we got to come back rallied for the battle. And it's time to take a stand. Take a stand on the King James Bible. Take a stand for confrontational soul winning. And take a stand for the bus ministry. And take a stand for modest apparel. And take a stand for prayer meeting. And take a stand for old-fashioned church. Take a stand for the cross and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, drive them out. And that's what we'll do. One man asked the general, he said, will your soldiers march? He said, no, they'll do better than that. We'll stand. We had to stand in war for purity. War and be peculiar. War for holiness. Fight the good fight. Number two, we're going to work. It's so hot in here. They're gonna have to re- I'm not going to die from the virus, but I'm going to have a stroke. Number one, we're going to war. It's easy for you to say, Brother Alvin, you're sitting back there with your white shirt off, tied around his head, look at him. Anyway, we're going to war. And number two, we're going to work. Look what he said. And you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land, watch this, and dwell therein. And you shall divide it, he said, by law for an inheritance among your families. Once we cross over, what are we going to do? First, we're going to drive out all those Canaanites because they don't worship the right God. They're wicked, they're worldly, they're, they're defiled. Get them out! And we had to do that. Every sin ought to be open season on sin when we come back. You ought not get uptight and clenched and pucker up just because the preacher preached on sin. You ought to say, hallelujah, I'm glad we have a man of God and not just a playboy in the pulpit. Yeah, anyway, we had we a we war. Number two, we're gonna work. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night cometh when no man can work. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he said, be a steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Acts 5, 42, and daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Everybody wants Acts results, but it's gonna take some Acts activity. You say, how do you get it to go? Old-fashioned work. When we come back, this has been a sabbatical. This has been a rest. I mean, our schedules have been easy. We've gotten to sleep in. Probably you have. I mean, you haven't gone to work like normal. You ought to come back fired up, revved up, ready to charge hell with a water pistol. I mean, just get back to work for the glory of God. Every bus captain ought to have a burning desire to build their bus route bigger than ever before. Every Sunday school teacher ought to have a vision to build their class bigger than ever before. You ought to have a desire to strengthen your marriage and build that relationship stronger than ever before. Every route, every class, every lesson, every sermon, every special, every choir number, every offertory. We ought to work and put some blood, sweat, and tears into what we're doing here. My grandpa and I were building a fire pit in West Virginia one time. My grandpa's bald, no hair on his head. And we were working, gathering stones from all the streams around our house in West Virginia and building a fire pit and just slapping some mortar on there and laying these river stones in place. And I was mixing the concrete in a wheelbarrow. 
And my grandpa called Papa. He might be watching tonight. Papa was sweating profusely. And the sweat from his head was falling down into the mortar I was mixing. And I said, Papa, you're getting sweat in the mortar. He said, that's okay. That's the secret ingredient. <laughs> Can I say something, church? That's the secret ingredient to success. And we need God in it. But we got to get ourselves in it too. Yeah. And when we come back, we got to come back with a mind to work. A big open for business sign spiritually hanging over the doors of the church house. Look over Jordan. You see all that land over there? All that potential? Well, you're going to have to conquer it. And then you're going to have to build some things. Then number three, what are we going to do? On the other side, we're just going to worship. Take your Bible, if you can, there at home and turn with me to Joshua. Joshua chapter number four, and I'll close, verse five through verse seven. They've crossed over. Joshua's giving them instructions for as they go through the Jordan. And then Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder. Can I ask you, when you come back, would you bring not a chip on your shoulder, but a stone on your shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children... Ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean you by these stones? Then you shall answer them, That the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. <clears throat> when it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial under the children of Israel forever. Here's what he's saying. He said, here's what we're going to do. He said, when we get to the other side, and by the way, we're going to the other side. And listen to me, we're going to the other side. You're in your living room tonight, but it's not going to be like that forever. You might be at home, but it's not going to be like that forever. We're going to the other side. And when we get to the other side, every other church in America can compromise, but we're going to fight for the faith. Every other place can get lazy, but we're going to work. And number three, what do you do? Let's worship on the other side. Can you see it? As they cross over and Joshua said, we're going to build a memorial here. And here's why. Our children won't be able to remember what God has done for us on that side. They're not going to remember how God brought us out. So we're going to erect something and they can look at it and we can point to it and say, God's been good. God's met the need. God's supplied. And I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to rejoice in the goodness of God. Can I say God deliver us from dead church. We had to get a big shovel and dig a big hole and throw dead church in the hole and cover it up. I had to get saved to go to a funeral for Jesus every Sunday morning, a memorial for God on Sunday night and a wake for the Holy Ghost on Wednesday. No, I want to be in this thing. If they can shout there at Levi Stadium, we can rejoice in God here in the house of God. When we come back, don't come back bitter. Don't come back pouting. Don't come back melancholy. You come back with a shout on your lips a spring on your step and a testimony saying God as God has saved us far and God is going to lead us home I was reading this morning a, a, a book Dr. Hiles was talking about Charles Weigel Charles Weigel wrote the song no one ever cared for me like Jesus and it said Charles Weigel came to our church there in Hammond in the early days and they were just a very formal church I have more respect I, never mind I don't want to make this statement how, how could you go to church and sit there like you're miserable and have eternal life. This is as bad as it gets, by the way. And it's pretty good now. But Charles Weigel sat there and he said, every Sunday our church sang the doxology. I grew up in a church that every Sunday sang it. Praise God from whom all, you know, blessings flow. And he said, they got to singing that song when Charles Weigel was sitting down there and he didn't know any better. Thank God for it. I wish, 
wish our crowd didn't know any better. Praise God from whom all blessings flow to. Amen. God's been good. Praise him, all creatures here below. Amen. God's been good. And he said, he about ruined our doxology. I was watching downstairs in preparation to preach tonight the video I watch every week, Curtis Hudson singing, I'm on the winning side at North, uh, Northside Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he's in that pulpit about to die with cancer, really, just skin and bones. Once I drifted out in sin and began to sing the song, and he got happy, and he went, whoop. But what I noticed was there's some guys in the choir loft about to have a fit. I mean, they, were, they acted like they had a hernia. They couldn't believe that fellow just shouted in church. Can I say, I don't want to go to that kind of church. Why is that? Because I want my little boy to understand God's not just good on paper. He's been good in my life. And I don't want to be a hypocrite and shout for the warriors or shout for the 49ers and be silent toward my God. The Bible said, let everything have breath, praise the Lord. He said, well, I'm not wired that way. Your wiring is not the problem. Say amen right there. When you got saved, we all got rewired. What are we going to do on the other side? I'll tell you what we're going to do. I've been watching pastor these last few weeks and everybody else in here has as well. Cry and shout and stomp and lay down and run and sit in that pew, then that pew, then that pew. He has ADD. But anyway, he's just everywhere. And he said it two or three times and it encouraged me because he said, I just want to run. And if I wasn't hurt, I would too. I mean, I like that. I like it when God's in it. If God ain't in it, then don't do it. But can I say something? When you come back, we're just going to thank God for what he's done. Because once you start to see this building again, you'll realize. You see that choir fill up, you'll realize. You see those little kids march across this platform. You hear those buses run, all that stuff we took for granted. For We're going to realize God's been mighty good to us. And I tell you, it's going to be a homecoming, rejoicing kind of a day when we get back to this place. Moses said, one of these days, we're going to the other side. We're not going to stay here forever. Church, we're not going to stay here forever. What are we going to do? You come back ready to battle, war. Number two, work. Number three, come back and worship. I'm going to pray. The altar will be open just at your home there. You can pray. Brother Galvan's going to play the piano. Maybe you want to, maybe, here's what I'm afraid. I'm afraid in my life, and I'm afraid for you, that we're too focused on right now, and we're not thinking about what's coming. This is not forever. This is not the new normal. One of these days we'll get back to things how we love it, to things how it ought to be. We have to have a plan. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.